You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey, investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and thank you for joining us. We are the largest, fastest podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And here we are bringing you only the finest of guests. With me is Dave Butler. He is the top honcho. He is number one. In fact, rated number one on CMP's annual top 75 mortgage broker report, and they've been there for the last three years. And he specializes in investment properties and dealing with people looking to buy rental units. So we have a wonderful conversation today. He is, he is full of a wealth of information. In fact, their team, as far as I know, from later conversations I had with him after we finished recording was this year, they're aiming for $500 million in mortgages in the next three to five years. They're hoping to get over a billion dollars in mortgages. So no small squad. And a great conversation we had today. You're going to learn a ton of stuff as it relates to what's happening in our market, some of the tensions. We talk about interest rates and how to generate cash flow in our area and really what comes next in the local market. I think you're going to enjoy it. Watch this. Hey, Dave, how's it going today? Very good. Very good. How you been? How you been? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing quite well. We're staying, we're staying inside as much as possible. <laughs> good. good for you. How are you guys doing over there at Butler Mortgages? uh quite quite an interesting ride there yeah it's uh it's obviously august so i mean this is the this is the heavy month usually of every year and uh this year is no different um if anything it's probably a little crazier than most of the augusts that we've even had even i would compare it to you know how it was in 2017 it was uh bananas year and uh we had, it was weird we had uh, it was we were it looked like there was going to be a bit of a slowdown for us even like you know when covid kind of started I when I say that I, I'm very loose with that but I mean that went for us in, in Canada here and specifically Ontario in mid-March um, you know we by about mid-April we are looking at our numbers that you know our day-to-day -day activity numbers and they started they were trajecting down and then I remember thinking okay you know maybe we might have a little break here and uh, that was literally when I said that that was the inflection point like it was just been <laughs> Uh, like a, just an absolute rocket since then. So yeah, very busy, you know, crazy. Summers are interesting, right? I mean, it's fun because the weather's good and, you, you know, weekends are fun, but the reality is for most brokers and, and I'm sure realtors, the summer is never that fun because it's just work after work after work. So. I mean, our, our businesses are parallel, so we're all in the same boat there. So maybe for some of our, uh, our listeners, now we have we have the best listeners and therefore we bring on the best guests because they're worth it. And that's why we brought you on today. Maybe tell them a little bit about yourself. Tell them about Butler Mortgages, maybe a little bit about what makes you guys different and you guys are absolutely different from, from your competition. Sure. Uh, Butler Mortgage is basically our brokerage. It's owned by myself, my father, my brother, my mother's even our compliance officer. Um, and it kind of developed because, um, you know, when I was 22 years old, I, uh, got into the business right out of university. I uh, apprenticed at my dad's. My dad was a mortgage broker for a, a long, long time. And uh, my younger brother was actually already working with him, um, you know, waiting for me to get out of university. And uh, so I then went and joined uh, their brokerage, learned it for eight months. And uh, they had a really unique way of doing business. It was very... Um, 
transactional based in the sense of, uh, you know, it was very hyper marketing. It was just, and I had a different idea as to how I thought I wanted to maybe build my practice. Um, so, uh, at the ripe age of like 22 or 23, I can't remember exactly. My dad was cool enough to, um, get me kind of hooked up with mortgage intelligence who I'm sure only because my dad asked them, gave me a chance to kind of build my own team at that age. I had no experience, really nothing. And uh, so, I, and then obviously I got, I brought my old business partner, Dan, in with me. We had always been kind of running little businesses throughout high school and university. And um, then we were off, we were off and running. So we kind of like Dan and I, our division of Butler Mortgage um, specializes in basically working with real estate investors. We're referral only at the moment. Um, you know, we just have a network of uh, real estate investment clubs, real estate agents that we work with over the years. And um, really, we're, we're just, we're super busy handling their stuff. So we really haven't had much of a reason to market. I know that sounds really stupid to people that would want to build a business. But we, when you're referral only, every single deal you do is, is being effectively graded. You know what I mean? Um, and you can't mess those leads up. So you have to be really careful with how you scale that type of a business. Um, because as soon as you lose that special touch, the reason why people are sending you the business, that's when you lose the customers and all of a sudden you're sitting there with a big staff and no, no deals to really work it. So, um, but yeah, no, Butler mortgage basically started because, you know, as I was in my own brokerage with Dan, we were building our thing up. My dad and my brother were building up their team name, but with a different brokerage, it was an independent they had worked for. And then it was, I think it was like around 2010, 2011, we were like, wait, we're giving way too money to each of our brokerage houses. So we just decided I would go take the course, the brokerage course, start up our own brokerage. And then, so we left our individual brokerages where we're at, came into one, but we still maintain effectively two different offices. I mean, we have the same, we're in the same office space, but we, they're on the first floor, I'm on the second floor. Um, and uh, we basically operate completely independent of each other, but just under the same brokerage name. And so it's kind of wild because for all these years, my team really hasn't, had, we call ourselves Butler Mortgages, we are, but I mean, you know, Ron and Will, my brother and my father, they're kind of, they kind of own the name and not in a bad way, but they are the hyper marketing, they're on the internet, it's their rate, their very rate discount site. I mean, they, when people think of Butler Mortgage, that's kind of what they think of. And, um, you know, so for us, uh, you know, it's, it's, we've never really had a name, so we have something coming up, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but yeah, we have, we have some stuff coming up where we're kind of going to give ourselves a name and still be under Butler mortgage, you know, just a different division. But, um, yeah, that's kind of the break. That's probably a long winded breakdown of Butler mortgage, but, uh, that's yeah. kind of how it runs. Very good. Very good. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about where people can find you at the end. Cause I think by sure. the time they finish listening to you and, and what's coming next and, and everything from the perspective of an investor, I think they're going to want to contact you. And so let's, let's get into, sure. I, I do daily podcasts as much as possible, as much as the news allows. And so we've been, I personally am extremely interested in this default cliff or the mortgage cliff that's en route. And yeah. depending on who you ask, it's either a huge crisis or it's more of a, a little pebble or a rock that you're jumping off of. So I'd like to get your perspective on, is this a big crisis that we're coming into? And, like how, how many deferrals are you kind of seeing or thinking is going to hit the industry? Um, I mean, I think there's an, I think anyone that follows kind of real estate and mortgages and, you know, has customers of their own that they know have taken these six month deferrals. I think um, if there is no extension of the program, uh, you know, it would be clear to me from a number standpoint that there will be, some, I would assume some extra supply hit the market. I mean, it just seems to make sense. Now, you know, with that said, 
you know, if we were talking in April or May, I had a really hard stance on like, yeah, I can't wait. I'll be buying real estate in like December, January when there's more supply and the pent up demand has kind of come down. And I thought that that would be a great opportunity to enter you know, my, for myself, I mean, I'm going to be looking to purchase a, a new owner occupied home. And I thought, wow, what a great opportunity. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I was actually in the market to buy earlier this year. And when COVID kind of hit, I was like, Hey, great, perfect. I'll wait. I'll wait this thing out. I'll, I'll use some patience. Um, I will say I'm super surprised though, at what's going on right now. I don't think anyone really thought we'd be seeing 2017 like activity in the middle of COVID. Um, you know, I, I just, you know, so it's really tough to determine, is this real, is this real data? Is this just this pent up demand? You know, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, there's lots of stats coming out about, um, the auto industry and how like they are experiencing insane high numbers too. So I, you know, is, is it, it what is this? It, what is this? You know, a lot of people pay, you know, point out at this pent up demand, people were forced to do nothing for two and a half months and it drove them crazy. And, and now they're buying real estate, they're buying houses and their cars and everything else. So will that last? Um, you know, at the end of the day, we have an unemployment issue. Um, so things are kind of all working in this bizarro world where you know we have people that are unemployed but they're getting their money still somehow by the government just printing um you know people aren't having to make payments on mortgages uh but yet you know they're also taking in rent so i mean there is you know i it just it's there's just so many there's like stars flying around you try to catch like which one makes the most sense but i mean you know i still think there will be a deferral cliff that will hit i just don't know the impact of it because you know I, the more I see the market, if things continue on where they are right now, it would seem like the any oversupply that will hit will get gobbled up very quickly by investors. Um, and, you know, and I feel like investors are also the ones that are really out there because, you know, when you look at it, immigration is still going to continue to be high in Canada. Interest rates are very low. So you kind of are trying to figure out, is this, are this, is, is this just a lot of like speculation and people assuming rates are going to be low for a while, so they're going to load up? It's really tough. It's really tough to know. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen numbers, three quarters of a million people that are deferring mortgages. I think one of the big questions, because I'm, as I'm kind of reading through some of the news, we're seeing a lot of the big players like First National and a lot of them have released their stats. And it seems like the majority of them are actually no longer on this deferral program. We're trying to figure out what is the number because then we read other news articles that are saying, no, there is a very real cliff that still exists. So I think just trying to wrap our heads around like do you think there's going to be a large scale defaults and i guess it's to the point where do you think the defaults will outpace the demand that is there and that's kind of being led by interest rates etc yeah i mean i think with the rates where they are right now i do believe oversupply will get gobbled up i mean i just it does seem to make sense um you know you're a smart guy and i know you would be certainly when rates are when you're getting a five-year fixed at 1.89 it's tough not to look at real estate um, you know, when you look at where else are you going to invest your money? Um, stock market is insanely volatile right now. No one knows where it's going to go. I think we're at all time highs in the stock market and we're in the middle of COVID. Um, you know, so that is, you know, can be a riskier play. Certainly jumping in at the top always sucks because you always feel you could end up being that next big bag holder for the next 10 years. Right. So, um, you know, where do you put your money? You know, uh, are you going to go with rates as low as they are now? Or are you going to go buy GICs? No, I mean, that's just so it really, I just wonder, it's just a, a spot where maybe real estate ends up being the safe play. And I think a lot of real estate investors 
who were already had this mindset previously are now doubling down. Um, I've had more investors now, you know, just say like, yeah, I'm buying more, I'm buying more. Um, you know, there's going to be another 500,000, you know, new immigrants come to Canada when they open up the doors. Um, you know, I've been hearing of uh, situations, I've been trying to get a lot of information from people uh, in the immigration sector that I know. And they're saying that um, there is literally just hundreds of thousands of approved immigrants ready to come here as soon as the doors open, uh, already approved. So paperwork's done, everything's all done. They're just, they can't get here because of the uh, travel restrictions and whatnot with COVID. So, um, you know, and we're still taking applications. Yeah. Um, so it's not like that has slowed down. It's just the ability for them to enter the country has slowed, but when they open the doors, it will be here. So as an investor, low rates, high immigration, those are kind of the two big things that you're looking at when you're talking about investing in real estate, when you're putting big money in real estate, and maybe that's what big money is doing. But I definitely think there's going to be a cliff. I just wonder what it's going to be because, you know, who are the people that have been the least affected with this stimulus? I don't know, the, 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 the guy who owns the bowling alley? You know what I mean? Like the, cause a lot of people have been, if anything, some people are making more money on CERB and on EI than they were at their jobs. You know what I mean? It's obviously that, that, that has to do with, um, you know, uh, some issues with the programs and the government issuance of the funds. But I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I, I know myself and I know you and I know other real estate investors, we're all sitting here going like, if there is a cliff we're buying. So then I think to myself, Hmm. Cause you know how that works, right? I mean, the, the, you don't want to follow the herd. So I'm like wondering like, are we all the herd now? Like what is going on here? Cause a lot of smart people have the same idea. And I just wonder maybe, is it even going to come? Like it's honest, it's so crazy. I mean, to think about what, what we're going through right now. And it's just, it really baffles my mind, but I'm still going to stick to my plan, which is I'm going to be aggressively seeking to, to purchase a new owner occupied home. And I'll be looking to purchase other real estate, uh, some investment real estate if the right deals are there, but it's, it's got to make sense for me, obviously. Uh, but I, I do want to see, I mean, in a weird way, I want to see a cliff as a buyer, um, but whether it comes or not, we're going to see. I think we also, you know, you, you and I know, I mean, it, real estate activity is not generally going to be insanely hot in November, December, January, February, March. It's just not, it starts to heat up in March, but you know, November can be a big month as well, but December, January, February, um, and with the timing of the six month deferrals, if there is no extension on them, that means a lot of people who had done the deferral in March and April are coming due in September, October. Their first mortgage payment won't be coming until October, November, December. Um, you know, so when will those people be forced who are now still jobless and are not, don't have that kind of extra stimulus, when will they be forced to sell? December, January, February-ish, maybe into the spring market, who knows, right? But. So before um, we move on to our next topic, I want to I want to grab you on that one. There, it's a good question. Do you think there will be an extension before we move into this? Is a perfect segue to our next one. Do you think one will come, or do you think not really? I mean, I know my my dad and a lot. I mean, my dad obviously a lot of people follow him. He's a big Twitter guy, and a lot of people. I mean, he's got he's very opinionated as well. And I know um, you know he's he's hearing that there is discussion. You know, so um, definitely where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, uh, as a buyer, I was kind of in a weird way, just, you know, as a, as a, as a real estate investor and someone who's um, trying to move forward in my own personal life, I definitely was, it's, it's good to have the information to know. And I think at the moment, knowing there wasn't going to be any, that was when I could plan my attack. Um, I think now the discussions and things that we're hearing are that it is going to be on the table. Uh, the government and the banks and everyone else are going to be discussing this 
Um, so, I mean, we, hopefully we will know, I just, I at least like to, I, like, I need to know information in order to get my plans together. But, um, my, my, the answer to the question is, um, I think it's tough. I mean, when you look at the way money is securitized and you look at the way the banks lend out the, the funds and how they're getting it six months at the time was kind of like a lot of us in the industry were like, wow, they were giving six, like that was kind of what you thought the, the most they could give. You know, to give more, I think that definitely then the, there will be some type of government program that would be backing the banks in some way to give more than six or eight months. I mean, a lot of us thought six to eight months was the max they'd be able to do. So if you're going to go over eight months, I feel like now the banks then must be getting some type of help from, from, from government. That's the only way that that would work. What I, what I love about this conversation is, is we at Watson Estates are one, we're scratching our head about the same issues and it doesn't matter how high up or down you go. If you can determine what's going to happen here, it's great because, I mean, you could make just as strong arguments saying, you know, the insurers, they don't want there to be an extension, but the lenders, they do, right? Like, yes, we should extend it. So I guess it depends on where you are. And even when we look at the highest level of government and regulation, they are also confused. There's a big tension right now between the CMH3 and they're, you know, they're making it harder to qualify for mortgages. And and then we've got the Bank of Canada, we've got OSFI bringing down the stress test. There's like this real conflict on is the market going up and down because we get the ceo of cmhc saying things are going to crash yet you know what we're going to make it a little bit easier we're going to lighten the stress test so what do you think about that whole kind of conflict and discussion up there are they just confused i think it's it's been uh, as a player in the industry it's been very interesting to watch this i mean this is the first time i can remember on record at least in the last 20 years that uh, the other insurers, Genworth, um, you know, and for lesser extent, um, Canada Guarantee, because they just haven't been in the market for as long, but um, Genworth and Canada Guarantee did not follow CMHC's rule change, which, um, you know, if you would have asked me when CMHC, and people did ask me, and I think I'm even on record, and I'm on probably YouTube or somewhere saying, uh, I've never seen Genworth and Canada Guarantee not follow suit. So therefore, it would only be a matter of time. Um, you know, a couple months later, I'm I'm eating crow, I guess, technically, um, because they haven't made the change. And even with um, Evan Seidel from CMHC coming out and almost not publicly like admonishing them, but saying like acknowledging the fact that they haven't made the change publicly. And I know I remember thinking like, oh, wow, like Genworth and Canada Guarantee callers must be getting hot. And uh, no, nothing. We haven't heard anything. So, yeah, no, I mean, to echo your point, there's we just kind of wait now for an email, an official email. Like it used to be, you could kind of guess as to where things are going to go. And it was, there was predictability to it. I mean, right now there is no predictability to it. And you talk to certain people at big people at big banks and they're saying one thing and you're talking to big people at insurers and they're saying a whole other thing. So it's, I've never seen things not as, as far off ever in my whole 20 years of doing this. So, so since CMHC made that announcement, there, there are changes that weren't mirrored by Genworth. Have you guys changed the, like, have you taken some clients from CMHC, moved them to Genworth, or have you changed so that your entire book of business is transferring over? Like what kind of adjustments have had to happen? Or do you just not have that much, you know, are you not in that market as much? Well, so no, so it's kind of weird. So you don't, as a mortgage order, we don't have um, the ability to ask for a specific insurer. Um, so ultimately the bank, the underwriter at the bank is going to send it to whatever 
ensure that bank or uh, maybe the per the manager of the underwriters has decided that day or that week they want more. I mean, there is definitely a like each bank has a quota as to who they how many deals they want to send to CMHC Genworth and can the guarantee and that can change throughout the year. Um, but what I know, you know, so the the actual picking of it is not really a, the the ability is not there. However. Um, right now, if you're sending in a deal to any bank and the, for a client and the G, on an insured mortgage and the GDS is over 35, you have effectively forced the bank's hand not send it to CMHC and therefore it has to go to Genworth or can to guarantee. Um, so the answer to the question is yes. I mean, we have not by verbally or by asking them, but we have definitely sent in files that um, were not CMHC approvable with the new rule change that are approvable at Genworth and at Canda Guarantee. And yes, the banks have sent them to those insurers and they have approved. So without question, CMHC has lost some market share in this time span. Um, you know, now I think, you know, that's Evan's bet. Evan's bet is that he wants to, he obviously is either looking to reduce market share or he was really hoping that Genworth and Canada Guarantee would follow suit, but he must be okay with losing some market share during this because maybe he's a genius and he knows he's about to drop some bags on their heads. Who knows? Like nobody right. really knows, but um, right now he doesn't look the smartest, uh, but, but I think that's also people are looking at his comments and his predictions in a very small lens. And I think he's using a much wider lens. I think he's, when he was talking about that 14% reduction, I think he's, he or maybe he did think it was going to be sooner, but I think it's something that if fundamentals were at play, it, it may happen in the future. But when you have the government just printing money, um, that changes everything. Right, right. So, so Evan, for those of you, for the people who don't know, is the CEO of, of CMHC. So, yeah, so sure. <laughs> we, I thought, <laughs> that's okay. So should we, at this point, be cautious about handing out mortgages and stimulating the market or like things? So a big argument I hear all the time, just to rephrase it, is personal debt levels, right? Personal debt levels in Canada are astronomical. Should, should we be pulling back? Like realistically, like if you had control of CMHC, would you be, I guess realistically CMHC should be in step with the government, which they've taken their own steps recently, but should we be tightening things? Like naturally, does it not make sense that we should be tightening instead of making it easier? And now in the sense of what they're qualifying for, they have tightened it, but they've also brought the stress test down. So there's, there's conflicting points here. Like, is it really, an issue, the personal debt levels, or have they just written it off as a, just how it is and it's not really a concern? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's, 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 it's an amazing question. I mean, yes, debt levels are super high. Um, I mean, if you're asking me, Dave Butler, if I was in the position, I mean, yeah, I would be tightening. I mean, but I'm, I mean, I don't even think of myself as bullish or bearish at the moment. I'm, on it, I'm actually in the middle because I think, you know, a bearish bet is a great bet because we are, I mean, look where, look at where you are in the market, look at, you know, where we are in market cycles. Um, you know, a bearish bet right now is a great bet, uh, which would mean certainly, which would be the, on, the, on the theory of everything tightening, um, getting a reduction in prices that, you know, are maybe more affordable for the incomes that we have here um, in Ontario or in Canada. Um, but, you know, that's the whole thing. I mean, when you look traditionally in the past, um, you know, a lot of bears get chewed up, you know, on bearish bets because they bet too early, you know, because big bull runs can go long, you know, um, as they say in the stock market, IRSI levels can, can still pump up, you know, even when you think they're, they're about that, 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 that things are overbought, which really, if you think about it, we are overbought, but then, 
it's a supply and a demand thing. I mean, right. at the end of the day, it's a rates, supply and demand. And um, it's just, I'm, I'm completely in the middle. Like, I mean, I, yes, everything that we've said, I mean, debt levels is too high. It's, it, for, it was way too easy to get mortgages for a long time. Um, you know, Canada's, Canada, Canada and the way that our real estate market has gone when compared to other countries, it's just, it's insane as to the growth. And, but, you know, you, that's the problem is you really betting against momentum like that is tough, but a bearish bet is smart. It really is. So things should tighten. I mean, look where we are. Look at our economy. We're in the middle of COVID. People should, auto industry should not be having their best, uh, you know, their best quarters. Uh, you know, no one, not a lot of people should technically when unemployment is high. That's the whole thing is unemployment is at its highest level it's been at in a very, very long time. Why then are consumers still consuming the same amount of goods as they were before? That's because we've been given this monopoly money to play with. Um, but the idea is the monopoly money cannot go on forever or else you effectively are going to kill your currency. You're going to do all kinds of extra terrible things um, that no one really knows the price of. But anyways, I could drone on about this stuff forever. And just bore everybody. Oh, it's really good. I, I appreciate <laughs> you droning. <laughs> Um, so, so you're in the middle, you're, you're kind of a bear and bull market. You're obviously dealing with a ton of investors that are coming through and sounds like they're buying based on what you said earlier. So what markets are they looking at? Like if you're going to make a play to make a purchase right now, what, what are they looking for? It's always going to be that, that, that suburb where the rents, you know, and I say suburb, I mean, it's going to be that, that city or suburb where the rents um, are going to work themselves out with the, with the price of the home and the mortgage payment. Um, and that's always kind of been the case. If we look at traditionally the last 20 years and kind of the, there was movements. I mean, there was, there was a while there, what, in the early to mid 2000s, even late 2000s, Hamilton market got really, really big. It was like a haven for investors. And then as soon as the price gets too high to the point where the rents aren't able to get you your cash flow, that, that group of investors would just go and find the next year. And I think it was like Cambridge. And then the years later, it was... Um, uh, Kitchener, Guelph, Waterloo. Uh, it was kind of like, and you noticed a pattern. It was like anywhere where you could get a house back then for like 300 to 400, that was like the next hot area. Right. Um, you know, and for investors, I'm talking about real estate investors. Yeah. People will think I'm an idiot. They'll be like, no, Toronto is this. No, no, we're talking about specifically as a real estate investor, buying a home to rent to own or to rent it out. Um, it seemed to be, you know, and then if you noticed, it started moving, like Barry, all of a sudden it went north and then it went east to like, Clarington and like now Peterborough. So Peterborough. If you know, it, it, we're just kind of circling the GTA, but there is, you know, it really, if you look at it, it's whatever city there's nowadays, maybe a 400 to $450,000 home that you can rent out to a large, you know, a, a large demographic, if you will, um, and still make some cash flow because, you know, but that's why I also think you're seeing Toronto and Mississaugas and even the Hamiltons and the Burlingtons people that are investing there, they're not necessarily buying a single family home. They're, they're buying duplexes, triplexes. That's now kind of, there's been a resurgence, if you will want to call it that, of multis. Because again, it's all about making the rents, you know, and the mortgage payment and the rents all make sense, right? Yeah, man. Got it. So, all right. So now we're looking, we're an investor. Maybe we have, maybe we're just looking to get into investing, right? We've got a home and it's mostly paid off even. And so I'm now there was this idea that, you know what, I could borrow, I can get a line of credit on my property, borrow from it, and then go out and get myself an investment property. It's been the sale for years and years. Now, for those that people don't know, they've made that a lot more difficult. And I've heard in some cases, they don't want you doing it at all. So I'm wondering if, are people still able to pull that maneuver off? And if so, like, how are you guys structuring those deals? 
Yeah, so the, the answer is that a couple of the lenders um, have definitely, you know, made an internal decision, uh, albeit temporary, uh, that they would prefer not to see real estate investors using um, home equity lines of credits uh, for the sole down payment of a purchase of a rental. Um, you know, so there are, that's only some lenders though. There's still a whole host of banks and lenders that will allow you to use a home equity line of credit. And I think that's why the reality is as a real estate investor, I think it's really important that, you know, when you're working, when you're, when you're in that mortgage side of things, you have to be working with someone that has access to all of the banks and all of the lenders. And that's tough. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but mortgage brokers as a whole do not have direct access to big banks like RBC, BMO, CIBC. These are three incredibly big banks that have great rental programs, um, but they do not have, you know, but brokers do not have access to these. I mean, that's why it's really important that you work with a, a brokerage team, I believe, that as a true team that has access to those products, um, not direct access, but um, outside access, basically. Um, the ability, you know, I, I would tell you that a lot of good brokers in this space have an RBC guy or a BMO guy or a CIBC guy or, or girl for that matter. I don't mean to say it like that, but um, where you can actually send the lead over to them, they'll handle the lead for you. But there obviously then needs to be a trust level because it can't just be some random person because the truth is, to navigate this space in terms of underwriting and in terms of the mortgage agent or the person handling the file, when you're working with real estate investors, I mean, there's a whole other slew of products you have to understand um, that not your, that your everyday, just regular uh, bank person or mortgage broker doesn't necessarily know about. Um, you have to be, uh, you have to understand every single rental program that's out there. And um, so for us, I mean, we've always, been really privy to all of the banks, even the ones we don't have direct access to all of their rental programs. And then we have actual really good representatives there that we're able to put our customer in touch with. Um, so to go back and answer the question is, yes, you can still use your home equity line. Um, but it's, you know, there are certain lenders that are not allowing it. So it just requires you to be working with you know, a bank or a broker that is able to navigate through and go to the right lender for your specific situation. Listen, some people are using, they're cashing out stocks right now and using not to buy property, which I think is actually a magnificent thing to do because stocks are obviously, I mean, they're very heated up. So I've had people actually selling off stocks and you, but it, that's fine. There's no rule against cashing out an investment. It's just what they're, they're narrowing down on is that, that line of credit thing and taking equity from a home, which I do understand it. I mean, it's funny when you think about it for us, what we just talked about earlier was, you know, bearish or bullish. You know, and you're actually able to see which banks are like bearish and bullish just on the way that they're changing their underwriting guidelines, yeah. right? So it or is even their forecasts, right? Totally <laughs> yes. different forecasts. Totally. So, so you're, you're a humble guy. You didn't say it straight out of the gate. So I'm going to say if anyone has questions, feel free to reach out to Butler Mortgages. They are the top. They are number one for the last three years, is it now? And on the, yes, uh, thank you. Yeah, for three years in a row, our team's been uh, the number one ranked by volume. So it's not, you know, it, it's not one of these popularity contests because I don't think I'm right. not popular. I think a lot of people actually maybe are, I might be, I might be unpopular amongst the people <laughs> that my peers. We're going to make you popular today. We're going to make you popular. So, okay, so I, for people who are renting, okay, I'm, I'm taking your time because I think this is great. I hope, I hope thank you're thank okay. all. So, so someone is renting right now. And they're thinking, you know what, it's obviously, if I, especially if I'm downtown Toronto, it's an incredible time to scoop up a deal on a rental space. Is it now the time I should be thinking about buying or should I maybe be locking in for, you know, right now, 
Now, and when I'm talking just buying, I guess it could include buying a property too, but even as an investment, um, do you think, who, who's, who's going to be the winner? The one who rents today in the, the cheaper rental market and saves to buy something or the one who jumps in with the low interest rate, I guess is the way to phrase it. <laughs> That's a, I mean, um, yeah, the, the, the bear in me definitely says to that you, you may be able to wait for a deal. But, you know, we've also, the reality is, is like, and, and again, I, that's my pick. So if we go back to my personal thesis, I do plan to be buying a new owner-occupied home in the GTA area, but I'm not buying today. Um, I am going to wait. I'm going to wait it out. And, and here's the thing, though. I am very okay with the idea that I could wait it out and the price runs up on me more. And then maybe in a year, I have to pay more for that house. That's a very real possibility. Um, you know, and it's just part of, you know, that's the gamble. I mean, when you, when you make a decision and you're making decisions for half a million dollar house, million dollar house, $3 million house, um, you know, you, you should have a plan, you know, and then you adjust your plan uh, if you have to. But for me, I mean, for most people, if you're renting right now and you're looking to buy an owner occupied home in the GTA or surrounding areas, um, rates are great. You're not getting, no one's going to be upset with you over your interest rate you get. Um, but is it the right time to buy? I mean, I, that, that part I'm thinking, and I would be targeting a certain area. I'd be, if I was them, I'd be targeting that deferral cliff. You know, what we talked about earlier, which is what I am targeting as a, I am someone who's buying an owner occupied home. I am targeting that deferral cliff. I am looking for there to be some excess supply. I'm looking for the, hopefully the timing to be right where it maybe happens in December, January, February, where there's not as many buyers. And then you get what I would basically call, if it was a stock term, a quick dip to buy. It's not going to last long because if the timing does work out right, you're going to head right into the spring market, which traditionally a lot more buyers come out of the woodwork and you'll lose that little dip. That dip will get gobbled up. So, you know, but that's also, that's a gamble. I mean, that's a, but I'm a gambler. So, I mean, that's why I'm okay to play well, that. So when we look at the stats from this past year, from December till March into 2020, there was a hundred or $120,000 price increase on the average home yeah. in Toronto. So, yeah. I mean, you're a gambler, but it's clearly calculated. And I, and I don't disagree at all with what you're saying. So, so for interest rates, cause you're, you're obviously in, in tune with what's going on with interest rates. Do you think interest rates will come down, but also even if they don't, do you see lender rates coming down? And how does that gonna look for applying for a mortgage? Let's say into the, our prime peak season, which we're kind of pointing right now to January, December through February timeframe. What do you think will happen between now and then? I mean, so right now the rates, I mean, there's pressure on the rates to stay low. Uh, I think the one good thing is like, for instance, if you want to look at rates, look at two different rates, right? We've got the Bank of Canada rate, which is kind of controlling the variable rate. Um, I would sit here and say to you that the Bank of Canada is going to have, have a very, very, very tough time raising the prime rate for at least the next 12, maybe 24 months. Um, you know, so I think if on that side of the variable, uh, you're looking at a consistent prime rate. But what we've seen is the banks are able to mess around with the discounts. I mean, we saw that rate when COVID had hit. Um, previous to that, we were at like prime minus, let's say 50 as an example. Um, and all of a sudden, by the time we were in that really uncertain period in like, you know, mid-March to mid-April, we already remember we saw prime, the discounts gone and we were back to like prime or prime plus 0.1. It was really meager. So there is the ability, obviously, for that to be played around with. And I think that certainly... The banks will likely um, do it on a seasonal kind of thing. And I'll get in that in a second. 
Um, and then as far as the fixed rates go, I mean, the bonds are going to be pretty low for a while. Again, I mean, most, most, most money market people you talk to, I mean, believe that the bonds are going to stay pretty low, um, which means obviously fixed rates should stay pretty low. But we get back to kind of this seasonality thing. Um, you know, I can just tell you as someone who's been in this for 20 years in a row, um, you know, there is, a, there is a seasonality to interest rates, in my opinion, from what I've seen. It certainly is not every single year and it's not like clockwork. But traditionally, you know, in around, say, November, December, January, you're not seeing the banks really fight hard, hard for that business, um, which means they'll kind of now bring up, bring the margins up a bit more. Um, because if you really think about it, we, as we've talked about, there's not as many buyers in December, January, February. So then if there's not as many buyers, why would the banks then go and start going deal after deal and fighting each other for that smaller amount of business? If you notice, traditionally in like, April or even sometimes end of March, you'll see like, usually it's like HSBC or BMO comes out with this weird special and it kind of kickstarts everything. And then the banks start going, okay, now it's on. And they start fighting and fighting. And then that's when you kind of, the rates drive down through the summer market. And then at the end of August, September, you'll see them level off and then you might see some margin pickup. So, but that's, that's just the way I see. I think if you look at rates as a whole, staying pretty low for a while, you can start to pick pinpoint when you'll start to see them margin up and margin down a bit. Awesome. So variable or fixed? Which I'm a fixed like guy. Right I mean, I'm a fixed guy. I mean, yeah, especially yeah. if you have a one in front of it, it's really tough to say no to a five-year fix with a one in front of it. But the variable people are going to be like, well, hey, I mean, the fixed rates could come down and you could get a better one. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, but I, I personally, if you're saying, Dave, you personally, what are you? I'm a fixed rate guy, especially if, it, if the price is right. Um, I like certainty. I don't, you know, and, and when it, listen, you also got to realize if you're taking the variable today, you are taking it on the bottom. I mean, there isn't much more room for prime to go down. Yeah. So you have to weigh that out as well and say, okay, like if I do go with the variable, I'm basically going with the variable in the hopes that a, it'll stay low for hopefully the five years or B, that the fixed rates will come down and I'll, I'll lock it in. Because obviously almost every variable rate in Canada, you have the ability to lock into a fixed rate at that time, but it's all about timing. Um, you know, or is there more likelihood that the variable starts to chop up a bit in two years, three years, and then maybe over an average, you might ha have been better taking a 1.89 five-year fixed rate, let's say. But you know, it's kind of interesting, that question, because it's kind of a no-lose situation, right? I mean, right now, today, with the rates where they are, unless you told me that the prime rate's going to be up near 4% or something in three or four years, I think you can't lose taking fixed or variable. But me personally, with a, a one in front of a five-year fixed rate is sexy. That's no <laughs> and, and there's nothing sexy about mortgages. It's actually, it's, it's terrible. I mean, we look at numbers all day. I get like one in front of a five-year fixed rate. I like that. I like that <laughs> That's what does it for you, eh? <laughs> I love it. I've well, thank you. I've never seen it. I mean, these are all time low <laughs> rates right now. We've never seen this stuff. So yeah, I like, I like a one in front of it. But I've, over, <laughs> I've overstayed my welcome. Thank you so much, Dave. I, I want to give you a chance to share where our guests can find more information and maybe a little bit more about what you're doing with your rebranding there at uh, Butler Mortgages. Sure. 
Um, yeah, no, so it's just, as we talked about, we kind of give ourselves a name. So, I mean, we, we, we want kind of to model ourselves since we are referral only, um, our team, and, uh, but we did want to kind of get ourselves a name. We, we probably will do a bit more marketing. Um, we wanted to kind of separate ourselves a little bit. So we kind of, when you look at like the banking models, you've got TD Bank and then you've got kind of TD Private Banking or Scotia and Scotia Private Banking. So we kind of looked at the different ways to set things up and figured Butler Mortgage already kind of has its brand. We will kind of do our, give our team name a little re brand, nothing crazy, Butler Mortgage Select, just going to go BM Select, change our logo a little bit. Um, and we'll be launching that to our clients and out in the public in uh, probably beginning of October. Um, and it's just a way for people to get directly to us. Right now, if you try to get to me through the Butler Mortgage website, it's kind of controlled by my dad's side. You have to mention Dave Butler and then I would get it. So it's just going to be easier and our clients are going to appreciate it. So there's not going to be any confusion. So Awesome. Thanks again, Dave. I really appreciate you. you joining us today. Thanks, man. I hope to see you again soon. Take care.